I'm Brian Tetta, executive producer of The View. It's Thursday, and today I'm joined by Alyssa Farah Griffin. This is Behind the Table. doing there, Alyssa? I'm doing great. Glad this, to be back. Yeah, me too. This was a, a big show today. This is like, you know, there's all all view shows are big, but this had big star energy. It was exciting. We Right from the top, it was all J-Lo all the time. We walked out to her. Um, do you, does it feel different for you when we have that kind of like electric big oh, personality here? 100%. I mean, just personally, I was so excited because it's J-Lo and who wouldn't be thrilled. But the audience was the minute we walked out, like from the drop was so excited, high energy, dressed up, like ready to go. Um, really fun show. And I mean, she's she's such a great guest. It's the second time I've gotten to be on with her. And I, what I like about her, she's not like like for as big of a celebrity as she is. She's like a pretty open book. A yeah. lot of them are way more guarded. And I'm like, damn, you're J-Lo and you, you really just like will talk about your personal life. You'll talk about, you know, what's going on. And, and you know, objectively, one of the most beautiful people on okay, the planet. So <laughs> that's really... the most striking thing. I couldn't stop staring at her. Her skin's perfect. She's she's flawless and she's just stunning and like a warm person, too. Yeah. No, it's always probably exciting. the most beautiful person I've seen in person. I'm going to I'm not going to argue with that. Um <laughs> Besides my wife, of course. Yes. yes. Um, now, you took some uh, heat for not doing the J-Lo dance today. W- will there be a redo? I tried to, to create a little thing. Um, I do think we need a redo of, like, a TikTok dance. This one, she's a dancer, so it was, like, full-blown choreography. There were way more moves than the act, like, just the average viral dance or whatever. And so I was a yes when it was going to be me, Sunny, and Sarah, and I thought it'd be kind of funny because they both can dance. I have no rhythm, like, just <laughs> white girl dance. Like, it's not good. Um, but I thought it'd be funny if they're pretty good and I'm a little bad. If it's just me and Sarah, it would have been way more noticeable that I'm not a good dancer. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, there's a lot of things to love about Sarah, but her complete lack of shame is, is, <laughs> is definitely up there. I mean, she, she did great, but at the same time, if she hadn't done great, she would have been fine. Like, um, it's just... Remember when she sang to Dolly Parton? Oh, that was not great. <laughs> that was so not great gross. at all. That was, um, oh, I love her. as my daughter would say, cringe. <laughs> yeah, but amazing um, at the same time. So, all right. Yesterday was Valentine's Day. It was our Valentine's Day show. Um, is that a big day for you and Justin? Not a big day. You're still a newlywed kind of. So I feel like. So I think I set the tone. I've never been a huge Valentine's Day person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also maybe because I was like single until a little bit later. We didn't, you know, get married till I was 30. So there was a lot of like single Valentine's Day, which were much more Galentine's. Let's go out for drinks kind of thing. Right. We always, you know, market. He got me beautiful roses. We actually stayed in and cooked together, which was really fun. Um, and just kind of had a low key night and like watched a movie. My, my ideal night. Um, I think I get the social side of me out on this show. And then my ideal night is like staying home with Justin and Herbie. That's great. Yeah, yeah that's nice. great. Do you guys do anything? We went to, we, I sent um, a Valentine's Day themed charcuterie board. Because oh, she, she loves one. those. She loves like yeah. the cheese and that kind of stuff. Same. Um, so I did that and I sent flowers. And then we went to a steakhouse uh, oh, nice. for dinner, which was, was nice. Yeah. She definitely several times yesterday said like, oh, it's a made up holiday. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I'm like, OK, well, then, yeah, the men know. should never not do something. Though. Yeah. Even if even if you're like me and you don't really care, it's still nice to. I got chocolate-covered gummy bears from her, which I do enjoy. Ooh, so that, that's, that, good. that's good. Yeah, that was a nice little... Uh, people are making faces in the, the control room right now. Chocolate-covered gummy bears are amazing. I f- highly recommend. I need to try one. Yeah, I'll bring them in. <laughs> they're, they're phenomenal. That's my favorite uh, candy. All right, so um, let's see what else is going on. Oh, we have viewer-listener questions. We haven't Ooh, had you on hey. in a bit, so we've got a, cu- a couple. The first one is from Kenneth. Let's take a listen. 
I have a question for Alyssa. If Donald Trump was to win, who would he surround himself with in the White House? I appreciate you listening and considering my question. Thank you so much. The podcast is amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I love listener questions. So listen, uh, Donald Trump will not have people in the se- – if, God forbid, we're in, there's a second term uh, who put the Constitution before him. That will be the foundational difference between – there were people in the first term of his presidency who, listen, some of them are always going to get called complicit or enablers for deciding to be there. But there were folks at every level who were putting the country, the Constitution in the country before loyalty to Donald Trump. And I think it's easy to forget, like we think of the presidency as the White House and, you know, a couple hundred staffers and the people in that building. No, no, no. He oversees the entire federal government. He see, oversees the entire U.S. Armed Forces, the Pentagon, the State Department, the Commerce Department. You need good people in all those different levels to be able to push back on bad policy, push back on things that are going against the Constitution. And I worry we're not going to see that. Um, I know we're not going to see that in a second term. They've already come out and said they're not looking for Reagan Republicans. They're looking for Tucker Carlson and Trump Republicans. Oof. And and I want to take a minute to say this, and I apologize to take so much time on this specifically, but it's a really good question. Um, I think there's a misconception uh, with a handful of us who, who served around Trump. So uh, in 2016, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I actually declined a, a high-paying campaign job with him. And actually encouraged a number of members of Republican members of Congress who I was working for at the time to endorse someone other than him. Marco Rubio, uh, some of them endorsed Ted Cruz, not a big, you know, much better, but better. Uh, And then in 2017, I was offered a a job in Trump's West Wing and I declined that as well. I was not comfortable with him, the person. It was when Pence came to me who I knew, who I knew would put the Constitution before any individual that I took a job with him and I I'm proud of the two years I spent with him, especially on international issues. We traveled to more than two dozen countries. We met with countless heads of states. Um, We did things like reinforce our commitment to NATO. I met with Jens Stoltenberg, the leader of uh, NATO, on a number of occasions. And then I went to the Department of Defense, where you need people with policy backgrounds, which I had in roles there, not sycophants, not loyalists. And it was actually only... In March of 2020, that I finally agreed to work directly for Donald Trump. And because I don't know to this day, was it naivete or was it hubris that I thought I might be able to get my arms around COVID messaging from the Pentagon where I was watching it unfold? It was a disaster. We were all seeing it. And I'm like, maybe I can marginally help. I went over there and it was very clear on day one, no one was going to be able to make this better. It's the the flattest, most chaotic organization I've ever worked in. And even having been in many meetings with Trump before then, to be with him at that level of closeness and in the Oval and in his private dining room, you I got the real taste for just how low of character this man is, how low of integrity he was. Um, and I'd known by by summer of that year I would not be returning after the election if he were to win. Um, and I was actually grateful the election went the way that it did. So I only say that to say you need those you need people on the inside who are there for the country, not for the personality. Absolutely. And I appreciate you clearing that up because I think a lot of people are it's hard because we're talking about stuff every day. And I know you've addressed a lot of this before, but mm-hmm. people don't watch every episode of the show. <laughs> and I, I am the idiot who reads every single thing on social media. You really do. I really do. And it's uh, because I see that all the time. Well, you know, Alyssa worked for him for four years. Well, mm-hmm. no, she didn't. Alyssa mm-hmm. would have been there if he had won for a second uh, term. 
No, she wouldn't. Under no circumstances. She didn't leave till Jan 6. No, she left before Jan 6. (laughs) Um, So, you you know, you you have been through it, and I think you make those points on the show, but it's it's good to have uh, those clarifying conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's also very scary to the question he's asking. um, What happens if people like you aren't there? Um, Do you think you ever were able to steer him in the right direction? Were there ever any any moments you can look at and say, it did make an impact? Um, yes, they were always small and marginal. I think I've told this on the show, but I can't quite recall. Um, there was one time that I walked into the Oval and there was a meeting taking place. I was in the meeting that was supposed to be afterward. And I heard um, Stephen Miller pitching Donald Trump on basically running the birther attack on Vice President Kamala Harris, at that time candidate for Vice President Kamala Harris. And with about 15 people in the room, all of them sitting there silently, I walked in and I said, Mr. President, that's a disaster. It's wrong. You will rightly be castigated if you do this, and you should not touch that with a 10-foot pole. He made one reference to it in a press conference after that and then dropped it. And I'm not going to take credit for that, but um, that was one that comes to mind. There was a lot more in the uh, national security space. And I think a lot of people don't know how instrumental Pence was um, in – pulling back the family separation policy. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you think of Mike Pence, he he has a moral compass in moments like that, and he spent days and days working to get Donald Trump to come around to it, and my team were a big part of that. So that was something that was important to me. And, and frankly, I was at DOD when he was holding up aid to Ukraine. I was working with the Deputy Assistant Secretary, uh, Laura Cooper, for, for like Eurasia on that, and we were working to get aid released. What, was um, Pence able to influence Trump usually? Would, did he listen to him and value his opinion, or was he dismissive of it? How, what was your impression? He, uh, Pence gave it sparingly enough that I actually feel like when he spoke up, Trump actually took some weight with mm-hmm. it. He wasn't weighing in on every random thing or every media cycle, but with things that really mattered. I mean, as evidence really early on, the reason that then— God, I hate that I'm saying this national security advisor, Mike Flynn, was fired was because Pence said he has to go. He had lied to the vice president. So there's 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 marks throughout the presidency, but they're few. And I think there was a strategy of um, only use your voice when it's something of very high importance. Now, you could disagree with that now, but I do think you listen to him. There are so many books about the Trump years already. Is there one you've read where you feel like, oh, this nails it? This is what it was like to be there. Or is that book still yet to be written? Um, there have been very good ones. So the best one on Donald Trump, the man up to the presidency is Maggie Haberman's confidence man. She nails him, the person, Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Baker and Susan Glasser's book on the first term is probably the most sweeping. Like it covers the most different fights and personalities, but there's still a lot to be told. I think Cassidy Hutchinson does the final stretch better than anyone, Mm -hmm. um, but there are still – I sometimes try to jot down notes because I forget of things that have never been reported that I knew about. And um, there's always there's always more with him. You occasionally will say something that makes my jaw drop in, in the Hot Topics room and uh, casually like as though it's not a huge revelation. And I'm like, oh, I mean I don't think people know that, Alyssa, and I think you should probably say it. So it, it's interesting. Um, and you often do. But it, it's, it's Well, it shows how crazy that environment is that I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, well <laughs> – yeah, for sure. Okay. So, well, thank you. I, I, I think that's really clarifying and interesting. Um, and obviously, we'll continue to come up on this show forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it's helpful. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' Group Text Podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit. Um, All right. We have another listener question. Let's take a listen. I have been such a supporter of Governor Sununu. Now he is starting to say that he would vote for Trump if he was the Republican nominee. Why? What in the world is happening? So that's a great question. Um, And I'm very much in the same boat. I not only support him, love his policy positions, but I personally um, consider him a friend. I have a different theory of this today than I probably would have had even a month or two ago. I am not convinced with how brutal and rude and just terrible and despicable Trump has been to Nikki Haley that I'm not entirely convinced she's still going to support him. And Sununu, to a lesser degree, because he's not been as much on the receiving end— I'm not convinced either of them actually checked the box for Donald Trump in the voting booth in November. But this is what really matters is how do they use their public platforms? I'm watching what Nikki Haley's doing, and it is impossible for me to see how she, after saying the thing she has, talked about how unfit he is, you know, called him an old man, says he loves to cozy up to dictators, um, called him diminished, could then in a month or two or in three months – come around and endorse him. I think that there's... As a counterpoint, I give you Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and and all these other people that did the same thing. That's the thing, is there's more who have come around and done that. I think that she has activated a part of the Republican voting base that would feel incredibly betrayed if she did that in a different way than I think some of those characters. Um, There's, there are, you know, there's about a third of the Republican Party who will not be with him. And they would feel incredibly betrayed if Nikki Haley went went around and ended up endorsing him. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, she's certainly gotten stronger in attacking mm-hmm. him for sure. Um, and I wonder if he would ever forgive. Probably not, I would think. That's the other part of this. Right. I mean, if she did the full, you know, beg and plead, I think he actually would come around eventually. But her, the play for her in my mind is – don't drop out. Stay through Super Tuesday. Let him keep collecting delegates because there's there's not a play for her 
in terms of delegates at this point. Like the map is kind of settled in Donald Trump's favor. But there's a chance you could have a June-July trial for the January 6th case where he could be a convicted felon by mid-late summer. And to be the other candidate that's in the race that does have some delegates who's been traveling the country getting their name ID up, that's a moment for her to step in. Now, would the party do it? Who knows? It's a conversation we're probably going to have to have on the show at some point Mm -hmm. because the idea of is it too late for someone else to run against Joe Biden? Is it too late for Trump? The the mechanics of it, it's a little in the weeds, but the idea of what could happen at a convention Mm -hmm. with delegates, what could happen in these primaries is something we probably need to do a deep dive on. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it, because it's never really been tested in this way, is not entirely clear. But uh, ABC News has done some write-ups on it that I've been reading, and it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, Primary deadlines could be extended. There's things that could happen. Um, Yeah, it can be done. It would be unprecedented on either side, but it can technically be done. So you're still not resigned to Donald Trump being the nominee? He will... I think he will very like he will get the nomination. Mm -hmm. But if a conviction comes down, I think it's possible that the nomination would be taken away from him. Yes. Unless Lara Trump is the head of the GOP. That gets makes (laughs) things complicated. (laughs) All right. Let's turn to happier times. (laughs) Let's turn to Bravo and Vanderpump. Um, Is that happier, though? Well, you tell me this new season is airing now. And I have heard that Tom Sandoval has not redeemed himself with you. Tell me about it. So this new season is fire, and that was like a high bar for them after coming off of Scandival, and it's continued to deliver. But holy hell, Tom Sandoval is the—he's actually hard to watch on the show. He is a person just with zero remorse and not even the slightest bit of understanding how his actions impact the people around him. So he's basically alienated from the whole group. He had this birthday party with, like, the most random people. Most of them worked for him. He'd go up to them and complain, like, why why do they not want to hang out with me? Why X, Y, and Z? And they would just tell him what he wanted to hear. So he's isolated himself from anyone who would push back and say, like, take a beat to realize you broke the heart and embarrassed a woman you were with for nine years. You betrayed friends in the process. And don't just expect you're going to get this quick and easy pass. Um, But one thing, there's there's a bit of a, like, microdrama here. So Tom and Ariana still live in this house together, and and no one really understood why, but he has basically said he offered to buy her out her half of it. I'm calling BS on this. I do not think that Tom Sandoval is liquid enough to buy her out of this multi-million dollar home. I think that he sees that Tom Schwartz, after he got divorced from Katie, had to move into a tiny little one bedroom that's kind of crappy. It doesn't look good on TV mm-hmm. and it's bad for the brand. If he had the money, he would have put up. But I'm not convinced he does. You know, who probably does have the money to buy him out. I think Ariana is getting close to it. I mean, do you think he's been able to profit from all the, the increased celebrity and everything else? Is that possible that he's been able to pocket more money that way? I'm sure marginally he's got his band. He's got his podcast and he did like the special forces show. But he's so universally disliked that it's hard to see that this would translate the way that it has with Ariana. Like Ariana's got brand endorsements. She's doing major brands like, you know, everything from like a garbage bag to like batteries. And then she's on Broadway right now. Like she's actually she's become like a business maven and I think is actually making real money. Um, I think she should save up and sell that house and walk away from the former life, create new memories. You can't you're not going to be happy somewhere you lived with someone who did that to you. All right. The other news that um, just is kind of we don't have too many details yet, but ABC has announced the Golden Bachelorette is coming. 
Yes. So this is very exciting for me at The View. Um, I like uh, forcing you guys to talk about it, those who don't like it, and enjoying those who do. But uh, I'm sure, like, how do you feel like the, the concept's going to work with a, a bachelorette as opposed to a bachelor? I mean, I can't wait. So my favorite part of The Golden Bachelor was the women were way less catty and dramatic than on the classic Bachelor. Yes. There was a little bit more maturity and camaraderie and sisterhood. I'm curious if that translates with men. I don't think it will. I'm, okay, that's my theory, too. Even though they're older, I'm not convinced that these, you know, retirement age gentlemen aren't going to have kind of little nasty fights. And there's, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of drama. Yeah. I mean, I'm in my late 40s and most of my friends are still adolescence in right. uh, mentality right. and emotions, if not anything else. <laughs> so maybe it gets better 20 years down the line, but I don't I'm think so. I'm not totally convinced. I don't I'm, think so. I'm so excited to see who they pick too. I, I would guess they would pick from Gary's season, like one of the women who didn't get chosen, or they could go just a totally different direction. I think, you know, the, the, I think Gary was a diamond in the rough, mm-hmm. and I think he was. I think he made that season work, and I think you find, I think it's easier to find women that are emotionally mature. <laughs> right, I agree. <laughs> but that being said, it might be great television. Oh, so, I think it's going to um, be excellent. So I'm excited. I, I'm excited to have the Golden Bachelorette on the View, and uh, maybe some of the men, and we'll have we'll have some fun with this. Someday we may get Golden Bachelor in Paradise. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to to submit. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, our ladies are married. Well, yeah. Whoopi, I right. could send Whoopi on to be a. <laughs> A golden bachelorette. I don't think that'll happen. She but would hate that. <laughs> yes, I think she would hate that. But, you know, you never know. Um, all right. Well, listen, that's all I have for today. But thank you so much for joining me today, yeah, Alyssa. I appreciate it. Tomorrow, I'm back with Anna Navarro. It's Friday. As always, the number to call or text us with questions is right here in the episode description. And one quick reminder, on Monday, the Behind the Table podcast will be dark for President's Day. We'll have a new episode of The View, but no podcast on Monday. The podcast will be back on Tuesday with a new episode. Thanks for listening. Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' group text podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit.